This podcast is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook is strengthening security during elections by increasing political ad transparency, blocking fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm, and reducing the spread of false news. Learn more at facebook.com slash action plan. From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Americans will go to the polls 11 days from now to select 435 representatives and 35 senators. Control of both the House and Senate is at stake. Democrats are hoping for an opening to push their agenda, if not to enact it, with Donald Trump still in the White House. And Republicans are hoping to defy the odds, maintain full control of the government, and claim the public's endorsement of the Trump agenda. Kate Ackley, a senior writer, has explored all the possibilities in her CQ magazine cover story this week. In the interest of full disclosure, Kate and I are also married, but this is not going to be a Carville and Madeline discussion. This is going to be a CQ discussion, right, Kate? Very straightforward, yes. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, Kate, you laid out the stakes in your CQ magazine cover story. What are they? Yeah, I mean, they're enormous, and uh, it's it's pretty hard to— overstate what's at stake in this election. Obviously, Democrats don't look likely to uh, take back the Senate, but it is up for grabs. Control of the Senate is up for grabs. But the House is really what we've been watching. And and I guess based on polling and conventional wisdom, it seems that it is most likely to flip to Democrats, which would give them a, a check on the Trump administration. It would It would basically put the brakes on the Republican and, uh, you know, the Republican Congress and the Trump administration's legislative agenda for the next two years. We have a little recent history here where we had a split Congress and a Democratic president, Barack Obama. That was after the 2010 Tea Party election where Republicans took control of the House, but Democrats retained control of the Senate for the next four years. So you had a split Congress. And As I recall, those were four of the most gridlocked years in modern times. Congress passed very little legislation. There was a lot of bickering. Um, More of the same if that's what happens this year? I I think there would be a lot of vitriol. um, And, you know, one of the things that we expect, and I think Republicans and Democrats agree, that if Democrats hold, you know, the gavels in, in the House, you know, the speakership and the committee chairman's uh, chairmanship, that they're going to use their investigative powers, their power of subpoena, you know, to look at everything from the president's taxes, his personal tax returns, and, you know, to investigate all manner of things, ethics, lapses, and other things in the Trump administration, just sort of dragging in agency heads and cabinet secretaries. Uh, that That's sort of the prediction under a house, a house uh, controlled by Democrats. That scenario is, it's going to be very interesting to watch because, say the Democrats do take the House, they don't take the Senate, so they're not going to be able to hope to pass their, uh, enact their legislative agenda, but they're going to be under tremendous pressure from their base to take some symbolic votes, perhaps even impeach the president, to bring up issues that the left has been wanting to address for a long time. Think, think of issues that they didn't get done in 2009 and 10 when 
they controlled the whole Congress and Barack Obama was president. Things like, you know, the card check issue to make it easier to form unions, the Medicare, Medicare for all issue that a lot of progressives see as the solution to our health care problem, the abolish ICE movement um, to really alter our immigration policy in a radical way. And so you're going to have uh, progressives pushing for all that. And then uh, mainstream establishment type Democrats worried about how that affects their prospects going forward. How do you see that playing out, Kate? Absolutely. There is going to be uh, a, a lot of internal conflict, and it's, it's already starting. It depends, I think, on what happens in the election results. How, how much, by what margin would Democrats have control of the chamber? But you are definitely going to see uh, people on the progressive and more liberal side of the Democratic Party in the House agitating for some really bold policy moves. What you do see uh, some agreement on is, uh, and you've, you've heard people from the current Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi of California, and other people in Democratic leadership, as well as more moderates who could be elected um, into the House, saying that they want to start off with a package of ethics, lobbying, anti-corruption type overhaul that that's what they're looking to do to, to get started so that they can restore voters' confidence in basically the system, in the federal government, and then move on to other things, uh, shoring up Obamacare and, and maybe strengthening it. Like you said, maybe at getting on a vote, a Medicare for all um, style of health care system, gun control. I talked with people for this story, uh, several lawmakers, including uh, you know progressives as well as uh, more moderates, and there is agreement, maybe not on a big gun control package, but you know shoring up the background check uh, loopholes and things like that. There are there are a number of things where Democrats agree. It might not be. Uh, as bold as progressives want, but there are a number of matters where I think you'll see, you know, maybe pharmaceutical drug prices, something that the Trump administration is actually working on as well. Um, that could be an area where there might even be some cooperation between the executive branch and House Democrats. Well, if Democrats do take the House, they're going to be welcoming a lot of freshman members from districts that lean Republican most years and from from the countryside, from rural areas where guns are a way of life. And it's going to be a quandary, I think, for them. Perhaps they can agree on expanding background checks, which now are uh, imposed if you buy at a gun shop, but not at a gun show or not for a private sale between individuals. But there are going to be other questions that emerge uh, surrounding, for example, an assault weapons ban that some of their new members may not be comfortable with. Yeah, and I think that's where they're going to try to figure out where they have common ground in their own party. It's not going to be bold uh, necessarily to what uh, some of the most liberal members would want. But again, you know, basically, and I, I had a, a conversation, and, and these interviews are in this story, with uh, Congressman Ro Khanna, who is a California Democrat, a member of the Progressive Caucus, uh, somebody who's uh, really tried to put ethics and those types of overhauls at the forefront, as well as other, you know, Medicare for all type uh, policies. And one of the things that he said to me was that uh, in, in the first basically 100 days of a Democratic controlled Congress, he believes that uh, that will be an opportunity for 
for Democrats to basically lay out what the party stands for and, and sort of shape the platform or, you know, the, the, the debate, draw the lines of debate for the 2020 presidential race so that, you know, he's he's not expecting that any of these things, you know, will be able to get through the Senate. Uh, an ethics overhaul, lobbying overhauls, uh, Medicare for all, you name it. This is a legislative wish list that would just be completely killed in the Senate. But um, and and if by provided s- the Senate re- is still a Republican Senate, yeah. But even if Democrats were to take the Senate, they're not going to have sixty votes. Uh, you know, they're not going to be able to to uh, pass much. Um, that would come out of a Democratic-run House. And even if they did, uh, you know, the president still has the power of the veto. But what you're going to see is them trying to have a, you know, sort of set out a template, a policy template that they believe, that House Democrats believe, would be sort of the starting point for debate among uh, Democrats running for president in 2020. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify, or from wherever you get your podcasts. We'll take a break here for a word from our sponsor. Facebook's growing team of experts are dedicated to strengthening security during election season and beyond. One way they're doing this is by using artificial intelligence to proactively block fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm. Learn more about their ongoing efforts at facebook.com slash action plan. And we're back with Kate Ackley discussing the policy agenda in Congress after the election and all the hypotheticals. So, Kate, another one that I'm interested in is climate change. The House um, in the, that 2009-10 period passed a cap-and-trade bill to tax carbon emissions, but it didn't go anywhere in the Democratic-controlled Senate where you had— uh, members from energy, uh, coal-producing states that, that just said, we can't go along with this. And, and you're going to have that dynamic again with more rural Democrats skeptical. And so is that something that came up in your discussion with lawmakers, how they would tackle that issue? Uh, you know, what's come up on the campaign trail, and I had a good conversation in the Capitol, actually, a couple of weeks ago with Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Minnesota Democrat who um, is up for re-election, but at a, you know, a safe seat, likely to come back. And one of the things that she told me um, was that climate change is not something that Republicans are hammering Democrats on on the campaign trail. This actually didn't, I don't think, is in the story, but um, I included other quotes from her. But but this was a good point, I think, in terms of looking at what is and is not resonating on the campaign trail. And her point was that uh, Republicans are not attacking Democrats on climate change like they were uh, even just a handful of years ago. And so I think with some of these severe storms and climate, you know, sort of heating up, uh, literally, you know, our, the, the the years being hotter than previous years and things like that have made people sort of question. You see the business community saying, you know, it's not that we doubt that there's climate change. We just need to figure out how to deal with it. Uh, it's still a very thorny issue, um, you know, but there might be some areas of, of common agreement where you do have people from more conservative districts, more conservative states who might be willing to at least look at some some possibilities. Of course, coming to agreement is going to be very difficult in the next Congress where you have really the backdrop of the 2020 race uh, strong. Right. I mean, what, what, whatever happens, we're expecting that Senate control is going to be very narrow. It's expected that um, Republicans will retain control if we, if we believe the polls. 
and they'll have a very narrow margin. There's been a lot of talk about what could break the gridlock in the scenario where the House is Democratic and the Senate Republican with President Trump in the White House. Infrastructure always comes up. That's something President Trump talked about during his 2016 campaign, but Republicans were reluctant to pursue because it, it costs money to, to fix up our infrastructure. Democrats would like to, to do something on that, but he'd, you'd have to have the acquiescence of the Republican Senate. Uh, what might bring them along? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is this is something that remains a top priority of people in the business community, of people in the, the labor world. And, you know, a lot of lawmakers will talk about infrastructure both sides of the aisle, but it means different things to Republicans and Democrats. And, and as you said, it's costly, especially the way the Democrats want to do it. You know, there's I think they want sort of a one trillion dollar investment. Uh, some of them do. And uh, Republicans want to do more about uh, sort of rolling back red tape to get some of these projects done. So you're sort of looking at this like like every issue from a, a totally different perspective. This is an area, though, where, like you said, President Trump, he wants to do something on infrastructure. At least he said that uh, on the campaign trail. And so this will this will sort of highlight this question that I think House Democrats will have. Will they be willing to work out deals with the president, a person that their base absolutely despises and, and is wanting to impeach? And can they sort of do that dual track where they work with him on something like infrastructure, at least, you know, at least for House Democrats? And also investigate him and investigate his administration and possibly even look at impeachment. Can they do this dual track? It, you know, it's going to be a, a, a very uh, precarious time. And will Republicans go along with the deal? I, I think back to the pre- President George W. Bush's administration, where a Republican Congress passed a uh, no child left behind education law, which dramatically increased the federal role in local education, increased federal spending on education, and also Bush's push for the Medicare Part D, the drug benefit, which was anathema to many Republicans. It was an expanded entitlement program. Um, But because the president, their president, pushed for it, Republicans voted yes. So it would seem that if that scenario holds, President Trump could get a Republican Senate to go along. It's possible. Uh, this is a different Republican Party, obviously, than was in the you know George W. Bush years, and it, it could work to Trump's favor. Uh, Trump is enormously popular among Republicans, and if he put out a big ask uh, among Republicans, it is it, it is possible. But this is you know the post Tea Party. Uh, GOP. And, you know, I think a lot will depend on what these election returns show. How how much is this uh, looked at as a as a loss for President Trump? How uh, does it affect his uh, ability to wield power within his own party? Uh, I think these are all questions that are going to be unanswered until we actually get into the next Congress. Okay, let's consider what would happen if Republicans retain control of the Congress. They narrowly keep the House, and they keep the Senate or even expand their margin there. Uh, what's on their agenda? Well, I think, first of all, there would be sort of a sense of victory for President Trump. This would embolden uh, not only the president, but obviously Republicans to sort of keep on with their legislative path. Um, I talked to a very plugged-in Republican operative, somebody who used to work 
for the Republican National Committee and is now in the private sector, who a couple of weeks ago wouldn't really even entertain the idea of Republicans keeping the House and now uh, seems to think that it's more, you know, more likely than uh, than he had thought a couple weeks ago. But in conversations with folks who are assessing what the agenda would look like, I think more tax cuts, making permanent the uh, individual tax cuts um, and just kind of more, they call it sort of tax 2.0, just another round of tax cuts, uh, whatever that might mean. You know, maybe looking at uh, trying to roll back um, the Affordable Care Act, that's obviously been very tricky for Republicans. They have not been able to do that in the first two years of, of all Republican control of the federal government. But that's certainly on the wish list. Um, you know, and there are other things, regulatory rollbacks in the financial services sector. Um, they've already started to do some of that. So I think more of that um, uh, you know, and they'd be looking at legislative vehicles like the reconciliation process, which only would require a simple majority in the Senate uh, to move some of these right. things. Right. That, that reconciliation process, that is how they got the tax bill passed. That is also how they tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act, because it allows them to pass something on a simple Senate majority, as opposed to the 60-vote the margin that is normally required. But that, uh, pr- so they have that blueprint, but that precludes going after uh, Social Security, which is exempted from the reconciliation process. They could go after welfare programs using reconciliation. They could do more tax. And I've been, I've been playing out the possibilities as far as the Affordable Care Act goes. If they, if they retain their Senate majority, if they expand it a little bit, which it seems quite plausible, um, they could go after it again. The problem, as, as everyone recalls last time, was one vote. Senator John McCain, who is now has passed away and has been replaced. It seems, if everything were the same, that they could repeal it. But on the other hand, having failed, you may have cold feet among some of the remaining Republicans from states that have benefited from the Affordable Care Act. Well, and what's interesting about the Senate, um, for 2018, this election we're, we're right in the midst of, the, the Senate map has been very difficult for Democrats. They're defending more seats in states where President Trump won in, uh, in 2016 and where he is popular. But if you fast forward to 2020, the opposite is true. Uh, Republicans are going to be defending more seats, more difficult seats. So you've got to figure that's going to be on the back of their minds. And there might be some Republicans who uh, voted for, uh, you know, an Obamacare repeal. And, you know, these pre-existing conditions, people are really on the campaign trail. Voters are really concerned about this because you think about it, almost anybody you know has some pre-existing condition and they like that protection of Obamacare. That's something where if you look at the list of Republicans who are going to be up for re-election in 2020, um, I don't know how keen some of them are going to be to take a vote like that because it could cost them. Good point, Kate. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at rollcall.com.